We're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, if you would turn there and... As I said earlier, and I don't want to just keep drawing attention to this, but things today are a little bit different than they normally are because we have some heavy things on our mind, and yet uh, we, are, we are not moved from our conviction and belief and faith that God is good. We stand today firm in the knowledge of Him. Something that we've talked about in recent days here is how emotions are not a bad thing. Emotions in our worship can even be a positive thing as long as they are in their rightful place. That emotions don't lead, our feelings don't lead, but they ought to follow truth. And truth is what should bring and, and really control where our emotions are. And so today I want to just direct your attention to some truth that hopefully will help us in our time of need. So if you're able this morning to stand as we read, I'll invite you to do that. You don't have to. If you're not able to, that's fine. John chapter 14. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Jesus says here, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God... Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know... Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning I pray that you would just anoint the preaching of your word, that you would work in me and through me as your mouthpiece, as your vessel to proclaim your truth to your people, and I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, I pray that we would be challenged, and Lord, that you would even bring conviction where necessary, that change, true biblical change can take place in our lives. Father, I want to also pray for anyone who might be here this morning that is without Christ, that does not know that they're saved and their sins are forgiven and that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, I don't know who those people might be, but you know every single one of our hearts and every thought of our minds. You know the truth about us. And so with the knowledge that you know, I want to ask that as your word goes forward today, that you would work in the hearts of those that are lost and in need of salvation, that you would give them understanding of the gospel and their need for Christ, bring them under conviction, draw them unto yourself, and may they turn to you in repentance and faith and be saved. And we'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Jesus here is in the middle of really kind of his, 
his last conversation, I, I call it a conversation, it's more of a monologue really, that he's speaking to his disciples, the twelve, the, the men who had become known as the apostles. These men that had walked with him for three years and seen his ministry and developed close relationships with him uh, are now hearing really the last words of Christ essentially before he goes to the cross and takes upon him the sins of the world to die in our place. And so Jesus for several chapters here in the book of John is giving instruction and, and, and teaching things about what life is going to be like when he's gone. And he talks about the Holy Spirit, that spirit of truth that he calls the comforter. Isn't it good to know that we have a comforter today in the Holy Spirit? And so he talks about him. He talks about abiding in Christ and, 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 and dwelling in him as he is the vine and we are the branches. And, and in this, he's giving instruction about what life is going to be like when Jesus ascends back into heaven and we're awaiting his return. But he says to his disciples here in the beginning of verse number one, I want you to notice, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if you think about that for a moment and put that in the context of what's going on here, does that not seem like a strange commandment? I mean, after all, their Lord, the one for whom they've given up everything. I mean, these are, these are men who left behind their careers, their businesses, their families. I mean, some of them even married men who who basically not left in the sense of like divorcing, but, but departed from their family for a period of time so that they could walk with Jesus and be uh, involved in his ministry. They've seen the miracles that he did. They've listened to his teachings, but they've also had intimate times where it's just them together. John, the apostle who is writing this book, is the one who was leaning on Jesus' breast at at supper, as they uh, that last supper that they partook of together, these men were close. They had fellowship together. And what is Jesus telling them? He's telling them, I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore. We understand that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. We understand the promise of the Holy Spirit, but you also understand that when you are accustomed to living life with someone, the absence of that person in your life brings about a troubled heart, burdens, sadness. And so these disciples are processing now a great loss in their life. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't, don't, don't be overcome. Don't be overwhelmed with trouble and pain and worry. And you say, Jesus, how is that possible? Sometimes in our, in our times of pain and difficulty, that, that's a question that comes to us. How is it possible that I could let not my heart be troubled? I mean, take heart, take courage. Those words fall short sometimes, don't they? But I want you to notice that there are several issues and items that, that Jesus points to as reasons that they don't have to be overcome with sorrow. I want you to notice that, first of all, he speaks of a person, and that person is himself. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. 
Now, now, in the minds of these disciples, yes, they believed in God and they knew some things about God and their faith was in God. What Jesus is saying here is, if your faith is in God the Father, you, your faith ought also to be in me. And as you are not letting your heart be troubled, I want you to think on me and trust in me and believe in me. Did you know that really the greatest uh, uh, method, if I can put it that way, of finding comfort and peace in our lives is to look to the Lord, to consider Him and who He is. The, the goodness of God, the, the wonder of God is not just seen in His mighty works and what He does, but it's actually wrapped up in His person and who He is, His character and His nature, the realities and truths about God. What, 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 what did the Lord say when Moses is having that conversation with him there in Exodus chapter 3. And he says, you know, when I go back into the land of Egypt and I tell them uh, that God has sent me to, to them, that I'm to lead them out of Egypt, what am I going to tell them your name is? When they ask me, what is your name? What did he say? He said, I am that I am. My name is wrapped up in who I am. It's the person of the Lord himself. And friend, if you today are overcome or overwhelmed by fear or worry or pain or struggle or whatever it is, can I just encourage you to look to the Lord and consider Him in all things? Consider the Lord. You believe in God. Believe also in Christ. That's what He's saying. Look, look to me. I want you to hold your place here, but go with me if you would to... The book of Psalms, Psalm 121, if you would. Psalm 121, verse number one. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He said, I, I, I'm going to intentionally lift my eyes. That's a conscious decision. I am going to look toward the one who is able to help me. You know what God said to his people? He said, be still. Be still. That's an important thing, isn't it? Stillness, quietness in life. But what happens? We're stressed about things were overcome. The Lord said, be still and know that I am God. It's, it's a call to consider the realities and the truths that are associated with that knowledge. That if, if, if I'm lifting up my eyes to the hills because that's where the Lord is, my help comes from him. He's the Lord that made heaven and earth. The God that I am looking to is the creator of the universe. Because he is the creator, he is also the one who's in control of all things. Uh, look to him. Find your comfort in him. You believe in God, believe also in me. As we go back to John chapter 14, he spoke of a person, but he also speaks of a place. And that place is what, we, what we've come to know as heaven. And it's called by different names in the Bible. It's referred to as paradise. 
uh, typically speaking of a place where the Old Testament saints would go before the resurrection of Christ after they passed away. Uh, we call it heaven. Uh, the book of Revelation refers to a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Uh, but it's an eternal dwelling place, a place in the presence of the Lord. Notice what it says here, verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so here Jesus is speaking of the place that he is going. He says, I'm ascending unto my Father. And he said, as, I, as, I want, as I'm trying to encourage you to let not your heart be troubled, I want to let you know there is a reality, there is a truth that you can stand upon it. As sure as I stand before you, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now we talk a lot about heaven and what it must be like. The Bible describes mansions, obviously, in this place. Uh, a street of gold, gates of pearl. A crystal sea. Uh, it describes a, a, a scene in which there is uh, no sickness or death or crying. There's no parting anymore. There are no more goodbyes. There, there is no more uh, fear in that place. It describes a, a, a lion and a wolf and, 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 and a lamb. And these things are dwelling together in peace with one another. And a young child can lead them. I mean, this is a different kind of place. We talk about all those things. But I want you to know that as Jesus was comforting their hearts with the knowledge of a place, he started off by calling it his father's house. I'm going to my father. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I've heard a lot of Christians talk about, I can't wait till I get my mansion in heaven. Do you know that the promise of this is really not just a promise for a big house? This is a greater promise than that. If you know Christ as your Savior, one day you get to go dwell in the Father's house. You get to be in the presence of the Lord. He said, verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's the promise of heaven. It's not just that we get a better life and things that we missed out on in this life and, oh, by the way, our health is better. That, those are great things. That's not what's so great about heaven, though. The greatest thing about heaven is we will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior that where He is, there will we be also. The book of Revelation uses this phrase. It says, the tabernacle of God is with men. That, that, that God will dwell among us as his people. It's an incredible thought when you think about it, that we will get to be forever with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4 uses that phrase, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Never again will Jesus be distant physically from us. We'll be with him. Isn't that an incredible truth? 
And I want you to notice the surety of this because he says, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. It's this comparison, I'm going away, but you can know this, if I go away, because I've promised I'm going to, you can also be sure that I will fulfill the second part of that promise, that I'm coming again. Now, did Jesus go away? Yeah, he did. It wasn't too long after uh, that he would ascend into heaven. If you remember that in Acts chapter 1, as the, the, the disciples stood there gazing up into heaven as he was taken away uh, from them, and, and the angels stood by and said, uh, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus is coming back in like manner. I love the fact that they, even the angels said, it's not an angel that's coming back. It's, not, it's, it's Jesus, the same one that left, he's coming again. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. This promise is absolutely 100% sure you can bank on it. If you know Christ as your Savior, He is preparing a place for you, and there is coming a day when you will get to go and be with Him in the Father's house. I think the, probably the hardest thing that we deal with in this life, really, uh, in the big scheme of things, is uh, death and the loss of loved ones, because it's often very tragic, and it's, there's such a finality to it. And so it's painful. And it's difficult because we haven't seen beyond this world yet. We haven't been on the other side yet. And so we, it feels like it, it, it's such a, a, a final thing. But friend, I want you to know that this life is really just a dressing room for eternity. And this life is but a vapor. And if you know Christ, there is something that the Bible describes as being far better waiting for you. Isn't that encouraging to know? Uh, I watch people walk, try to walk with people through life and have experienced people that I've known and loved that were healthy and strong and then as they aged, the body began to break down as it often does and there were aches and pains and, and it, life just wasn't as fun anymore. It became more difficult just to live every day and struggle with things. You know why I think that is? I think the Lord prepares us to go home and be with Him. It's far better. Folks, this, this world is full of trouble. We had a a bonfire out at our place the other night and we're, we're watching as we throw another log on there and all those sparks would go flying and I was reminded of, of the statement in Job, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. It just as sure as those sparks always go up, it is sure that in your life you're going to have trouble and difficulty, right? This world is full of that. And Jesus said it, in the world ye shall have tribulation. I mean, this, this world isn't it's really not all it's cracked up to be, I'll be honest with you. I'm not saying I don't enjoy life and all that, but, but folks, this isn't all that we have. We have hope. We have hope because there is a better day coming. Let not your heart be troubled.
You believe in God. You believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. It's personal. A place for you. Then I want you to notice that as he's talked about a person and he's talked about a place, he also talks about a path. How do I get there? I've uh, spent a lot of time talking to people about their soul. What's going to happen when you die? And I ask that question, you, you know, if you were to die today, do you have absolute confidence that you will go to be with God in heaven? You know what the answer is usually? I hope so. I think so. Um, you know, I'm doing the best I can, something of that nature. But I want you to know that God's made it very, very plain and clear that you can know. He has told us the way. And here's what he says. And whither I go, ye know. And the way ye know. Wait, I know the way to heaven? I know the way to the Father's house? And then Thomas, verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? What are you talking about, Jesus? And then he gives that famous statement that we quote the verse often, but do you think about this? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is one way to heaven, only one. And it is not in your ability to get there. You cannot get to heaven by trying the best that you can. A lot, an awful lot of people, well, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to, you know, try to follow the Ten Commandments and, and uh, try to be kind to people and and I think the Lord would say, I'm a pretty good person. A lot of other people are trusting in a religion, the church that they attend, or their baptism. Well, I got, and I'll ask people, oh yeah, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Really, when did you get saved? Well, I got baptized on such and such a date. <laughs> what are you trusting in? Water doesn't wash away sin, folks. Religion doesn't save. Good works don't save. This church can't save. No church can. No priest can forgive your sins. But Jesus did tell us the way. He said, I am the way. Now, I want you to notice. He didn't say, my way is the way. He didn't say, you have to do it my way. No, he said, the way is through me. It is me. He, again, the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in the book of 1 John, in chapter 5, it makes it very clear. And it, it says to us, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then he said... These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you're on your way to heaven. You know the way. It's plain as day in the Word of God. 
It is only through Christ and His shed blood. It's only because Jesus paid for your sins and mine on the cross. And that's why the famous verse in John 3 and verse 16 is so often quoted, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Faith in Christ and His shed blood on the cross. Why? Why is there only one way to God? How could it possibly be? Well, it's very simple, friend. We're sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the very best of our efforts fail and fall short of God's standard. So it doesn't really matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't really matter how religious you are, how faithful you are to church. It really doesn't matter how many people have prayed for you. All that's going to matter when you stand before God is whether you received his gift of eternal life. Because the very best that we can do is, is it's, it will never measure up. Isaiah 64 and verse 6, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The very best we can do, it does not measure up to God's standard, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin, it says in 1 John 1, 9. He is the propitiation, the acceptable sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And it really is that simple, friend. You can have hope today, and I can have hope today because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and for me. He's made this simple promise in Romans 10 and verse 13 that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whither I go ye know, and the way ye know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you have Jesus Christ? If you have Christ today, you have hope. If you don't have Christ, you have no hope. And so the admonition then is turn to Christ and look to Him and find in Him all that you need to save your soul, to give you a home in heaven, but also to give you hope to live that your heart would not be troubled, that you would not be overcome with the cares and burdens of this life. Friend, the pain of this life is real. It's real. But we have hope in Jesus.